There we go. It is Saturday afternoon, raining cats and dogs on the East Coast, hotter than hell out West, but happy to be here talking MLB Pro after a wild couple of days on the trade market. Welcome, and uh, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you for having me, as always. Uh, I think we can thank Greg and the Pirates for their self-imposed uh, trade deadline on uh, Friday, yep. uh, because it was, a, it was a busy couple of days there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I didn't think he'd get much done. I really didn't. Um, it's funny, I was, I was going through the, you know, the 30 players that will define the season, and we talked a lot about the Pirates. We talked about Garrett Schleck, particularly, and he is still a Pirate uh, for the long term, it seems. So they moved a bunch of pieces, just not him. But uh, that's going to be an interesting topic to go through today. So I think everyone knows where we're heading. We're, we are headed towards the Pittsburgh Pirates. Before, before we dive into the trades, let's maybe give a recap of where things stand in the Central. Um, the Brewers... 20 games above 500, the best record in the National League, 55 and 35, have a three and a half game lead now over the recently moved into second place, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, three and a half back, one and a half games behind, or rather, one and a half games behind the Rockies and Diamondbacks, but now who are tied, but one of them takes the division. So the Cardinals are in a playoff position. The Pirates, four back of Milwaukee at 50 and 38, five and five in their last 10 are now a half game behind the Cardinals for the second wildcard spot, two games ahead of your Braves, and then three games ahead of your Braves, and then basically 10 clear of everyone else in the uh, National League. So the Pittsburgh Pirates were in prime playoff position just a few days ago. Yeah. Um, a team that seemed to be positioned to maybe buy, maybe add a piece or two. A team that had a plethora of young talent, uh, whether that be in the rotation with Gary Griffith, the bullpen with Tyson Oswalt, the lineup with the likes of Jared Stevens, Alex Baum, uh, and Mason Marley, the number one prospect in all of baseball waiting in the wing. You have Reese Hines, a top 10 prospect. I mean, a team that was loaded with prospects already, a good young system. You had Conforto, you had Schlecht. You had a lot of things to like. I, I think before the season, I was telling you, I, I really liked the Pirates. I thought they were maybe going to surprise and win the division. And then Greg flips everything on, on their head, on the head. Uh, it makes a couple trades before let, let's start with the first one. Cause it, it might, it was the one that I think maybe sent some, some shockwaves, maybe some surprise some, but didn't surprise others. And it was the trade with Tampa Bay, which sent Xiao Shi Fung, Colton Wong, Jorge Martinez, Stanford Samuels, and a pitching prospect to the Pirates in exchange for Carlos Meza, Devin Mezarosco, Juan Segura, Gary Griffith, and Tyson Oswald. So when you saw that trade, what was going through your mind? I was confused, but I, to be also, on this side, is I knew it was coming, right? Because he has made no secret of the fact that he was trying to package all these dudes together and get them out of town, particularly Gary Griffith, he's been really aggressively shopping for a month and a half now, you know, to, whether I can find the logic behind it, I, I don't know if I can get to that point, but this, this wasn't necessarily a surprise that it happened, but it still hit weird. And I still felt uncomfortable almost when they all got dealt in the same swoop and uh, dealt the way they did right. Financially, you get it. 
with the, the Carlos Mesa contract leaving, and I forget who the other fellow. So was. here, here, I, 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 that's what I was just looking at before yeah, we got yeah. in the air. Carlos Mesa is the second year of a five-year deal, so he's owed twenty million dollars yeah. yep. through twenty twenty-four each year. Devin yep. Mezzarosco is owed forty-two million over the next three years. Does have a player option after twenty twenty-two, and we've seen crazier players opt out, so a possibility. And then Juan Segura is owed twenty-one million dollars over the next a year. 21 million, 7 million a year for the next three years does have a player option after this year signed through 2024. So while it could be a shit ton of money, if Mezzarosco opts out, if Juan Segura opts out, suddenly this trade is going to look very differently. I think the first thing that is worth revisiting is what you is what you started with. Greg did have these guys on the trade block. No one should be surprised, including us, that this trade did go down. And I think that is a very valid point. They did their due diligence. They had a plan. Whether we know what that plan is, whether we agree with that plan, I think it's a different story. But they had a plan. They want to get back to a plan. They did what they thought was best. My biggest concern or question mark from an outsider's perspective is, yes, they freed up a lot of money. But did they need to be spending this money elsewhere? Conforto signed through 2024. Chris Scalise is signed through 2024. Garrett Schlecht is signed through 2024. You have six years of basically of team control of these young stars in the middle of their lineup. All these contracts were going to be over by then. Do they turn around and do what maybe Detroit did a couple of years ago? You free up money, you get rid of Josh Johnson, and then you go blow it on Jordan Lyles, and now you, you just put yourself back in the same position. So I, I'm a little perplexed by this notion of freeing up money when I don't I don't see why they needed to free up money that, that's my biggest issue I think with this trade yeah I think this league has proven a couple of things are true and one of the things that's true is is that big dollar free agent signings are never going to take you over the peak in this league right I can't remember the last time somebody spent 30 million a year on someone and it was the magic piece that took them to the top of their, their division which is kind of where it brought me and I told you at the beginning of this, I, I had a wild ass theory that that what they were doing here I took uh, my little like investigator hat, put it on, and I went straight to Justin Kaiser of the Seattle Mariners and said, hey, man, are you about to deal Rondo Cabanas to Pittsburgh for like Reese Hines, Mason Marley, and a whole bunch of other dudes? Because I can think of no reason outside of trying to bring in Rondo Cabanas or uh, maybe Gary Copeland that the Pirates would go out and empty the shelves like this. Because you're right, they didn't need the money, and there's not going to be a free agent next year that's worth spending $30 million on that's going to take them from where they are right now, which is, in my opinion, still, even before these trades, third best team in their division, in your opinion, maybe first best, two, top, right? It just wasn't there. So that was quickly shot down. I was told, one, he can't even literally legally be traded for another couple of months. So it's not going to happen this year if it did. Uh, and two, he, he just said, no, I'm not looking to trade. Don't touch those. Uh, trade him to, to Pittsburgh. So that was shot down immediately. But that was my only theory that made any sense so far. That's kind of like with this. Now, they did get pieces back that can help them make the playoffs this year. Uh, while they're not long-term maybe answers, Fung has been good in the past in Houston. He's been, he's been decent for Tampa Bay, he, especially of late. He, he's, he's run together about five quality starts in a row. Um, so there's hope with Fung. Col Colton Wong had been a pleasant signing for Tampa Bay this year. Uh, hitting 278, showing some power on pace for 20 homers. Uh, a bat that can slide into that lineup and, and be productive. Stanford Samuels is a young outfielder. Uh, Jorge Martinez is fine. And Spencer is a decent pitching prospect. Uh, 
the issue again, it's again, I, I'm fine freeing up the money, even with the question of what you're going to do with it. But Gary Griffin and Tyson Oswalt were, um, they were quality prospects. I, I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to say whether that was how much they could have maybe retained, retained some of the salary and, and gotten out of trading Gary Griffin. I don't know. I, I would have thought at the, at the trade deadline, they could have moved somebody without giving up a guy like Gary Griffin. I mean, on Tyson Oswald also, too. I mean, Tyson Oswald was being used as a closer in Pittsburgh, which is still very valuable, although I argue he'd probably be more useful in a different role. He's being used as a starter now in Tampa. He's going to be given a shot at this role, and he's got the stamina to do it. His pitches are very good. Uh, you know, we've seen guys like Casey Kelly grow into a fourth pitch, so that's always a possibility down his, you know, young career. Maybe that happens. I, I <coughs> Without trying to dig into what Pittsburgh is doing, you know, because – I guess before, I don't want to abandon this yet. Do you think they were a better team in 2021 today than they were Thursday? Sorry, no. before they were Tuesday, I guess, before they made their first trade. No. No, I don't either. And, and so that undercuts me what they're doing because whether you kept these other guys or not, I think the one thing that Pittsburgh does have that I, I you just constantly forget is they are just loaded with very interesting young players. Reese Hines specifically kind of sticks out to me as a really exciting shortstop prospect. Now, one of the guys they brought back, Stanford Samuels from Tampa, who I really do like is in the majors right now is another piece. So I guess he wouldn't have been there without this trade, but you've got, I mean, Gunnar Graham, Dustin May, uh, Ula I can't pronounce that name. Like this team is loaded with young pieces that aren't that far off. And if you could have put them up there with, some of the guys they traded away as opposed to, you know, the expiring aging Colton Wong and, and shall we, shall we fung? I mean, it's a better, it's a better future for Pittsburgh, but. Well, even someone like Carlos Mesa, is he, is he really a 20, $20 million in MLB pro, I think gets lost at times, especially after five or six or however many years ago when when everyone was signing for dirt cheap prices yeah that's a thing in the past now you you're going to need to be paying quality pitchers 15 20 million dollars when, when they hit their fifth year six year extension whether they hit free agency or you're extending them carlos Mesa has been good for basically 190 innings of quality pitching for pittsburgh for the pirates the last five or six years his record this year was two, uh, three and seven but his era was three three under under three seven yeah he was still striking out eight batters a game uh he was having a year worth worth 20 million dollars no but he also wasn't having a bad year uh it's replacing more than just gary griffin and tyson oswald in the short term i i can't make heads to tell i mean i'm looking at the team now again this is i'm in stats plus it's, it's outpaced am i do they do three fifths of their starting rotation the only guys they kept are glasnow and scalise yeah, or did Glass now just get traded in the Dodger trade for Brett Frazier? He right. did. He was part of the Kurt Franklin trade. So we got Glass now is gone as well. The guy that had a sub three ERA along with his an all star center fielder. Um, and you, know. I, you made the point, uh, Dustin May, DJ Ulagi, uh, some of these other guys, they're quality prospects. Brett Frazier was the top, I believe, the top Dodgers pitching prospect. They're not. They're not not getting quality. Yeah. But they just shortchanged themselves. It appears for this season, and this season seemed like it could have been a good building block for the future. This just may maybe it hits me 
like tighter than it should just because this feels like the move I made two years ago when I made the World Series and got swept by the Angels and then traded the entire organization despite the fact they were all under contract that wasn't in financial trouble and I didn't need to do it right like this feels very much like that I realized they were strapped a little bit with some of those shitty contracts but to your point Mesa wasn't that bad I mean Messerocco kind of was but whatever that wasn't going to kill him like Pittsburgh felt like a team to me that I, I go back to last year Pittsburgh team felt like a team to me last year that didn't think they were going to compete suddenly did it imploded on them last year and this year they started out hot again I told you at the beginning of the year I didn't believe in them you very much did clearly he believed in himself they got off to a scorching hot start and then it stopped and Milwaukee blew up and then St. Louis did what we all expected them to do which was get back to what St. Louis is supposed to do which is 2019 baseball because they were terrible last year and it seems like he thought Ah, shit, it's happening again. This The core of these guys can't do it. I need to retool a little bit. I kept some good players around. But, like, to me, it felt like that. It felt like a panic move that he didn't think he could compete this year, so he gave up. It's – it's I, I don't know. And, and it's a, it was a, came at a weird stretch because, yeah, the, the, the Pirates underperformed in, in July. Uh, they had a losing record of 12 and 14. But they also finished July – wait, June. Excuse me. June 12 and 14, but they finished the month actually not playing terribly. They split a four game series with St. Louis and then they swept three from the Rockies in at course. Mm-hmm. So they finished the month on a good note outside of losing a pair to the White Sox. Like it's, it's tough on the flip side, before we move into the other pirates trades for months now, we've been on repeat saying the blue Jays are going to figure it out. The blue Jays are going to figure it out. They're going to win the East easily. Yeah. The Rays are six and a half back, mm-hmm. probably too far back. But you add Gary Griffith to the rotation, you add Tyson Oswalt to the rotation, you add Carlos Mesa to the rotation, you get back Hunter Johnson. I, is he back? Is he coming back soon? We back up at the break. Uh, you still have Kodai Senga, who's been good. Can they cut the six and a half game deficit and become a, a threat to win the East? I think so i mean they're, they're still too young for my liking I, I just don't like a team that is full this full of rookies right i mean you think about uh o'neill cruz and jared kelnick and uh God, who's that third baseman that his name is totally escaping me right now McCoy. McCoy. McCoy, he's playing first now because o'neill cruz is playing third you know and then couple that with you know kodai Singh is older but he's a rookie gary griffith tyson oswald all these guys are young right um hunter johnson's uh, rookie they're too young for me to believe they can overtake Toronto, but I love, I love this team in current state. You know, I love their future. I think this, this division is looking very much like a Tampa Baltimore division going forward uh, with, with Boston having something to say about it with their offense, but I don't think they can put it together yet. You know, it's, it's a lot, a lot of fun. I don't think they catch them this year just because they're too young, but it's going to be a hell of a lot more fun watching this team down the stretch. If you're a Rays fan than it was in the first half with all these older fellas. So Dan Hughes, the team's top pitching prospect has been moved at least this season to the bullpen, but you, you add Hunter Johnson, who's young, Gary Griffith, Tyson Oswald, Sango's, I believe still relatively young. You have Navy Schuler, not too far off. Grayson Rodriguez, not too far off. Jack Leiter, not too far off. Eric Paradino, not too far off. And Chris Schoenborn, not too far off. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden they are loaded, not just with quality pitching, pitcher, pitching prospects, 
but high end quality pitching prospects. Like yeah. this, this, this team has the makings of the best rotation in baseball two years from now. It absolutely does. This, this is the picture to me of the American league version of uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like this is a rebuild done incredibly well from the start when John Hines took over, but he's also mastered for whatever reason, the sign a veteran in free agency and then trade them for valuable pieces mid-season thing. Like he's done this a couple years in a row uh, and he's gotten a lot of really good pieces into his lineup because of it. You know, if you look at what he's doing now, his big weakness uh, offensively, at least from like long-term would maybe be shortstop in the current MLB lineup with Lemmerman not being great, but Bobby Witt Jr. will probably be ready late 2022. Um, the dude's just got no holes in the, in the, the, roster up and down in my opinion I, i'm in, terrified and excited for what he is going to be able to do with this team in a couple of years but short term no i don't think they can catch up and i think it, it gets back to what we were talking about with carlos mesa in pittsburgh if he's not a bad pitcher and we've seen teams be aggressive with retention and salary if, you, uh-huh. if the Rays were willing to keep five million ten million for that salary you could flip carlos mesa this season next season yeah and get another quality prospect and you wouldn't be creating a hole because of all the incredible depth behind Carlos Mesa. Uh, so I, I think it's just that. another, another piece that Tampa Bay and John has to work with. That's, a, that's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Cause he is still a very good pitcher and there's people with budgets to spend that are trying to win this year that Carlos Mesa would absolutely fit for. I mean, I can think of three teams off the top of my head. I think that that would go well. I'm not going to give him any goddamn ideas because he's already doing a great job. I'm sure he's already got them, but um, God, that's a good point. He's going to do something with that, isn't he? It's uh, it's an interesting position, but it, so I'll, I'm not going to kill Greg for this trade. Uh, I think because as we pointed out, it was it, w- it was thought out, it was planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just from an outsider's perspective, it, it did leave a little scratching to our head on that sense. Whereas Tampa, and I guess similar similarly yeah. for Tampa Bay, as we as we talked about, while, while Pittsburgh had all these players locked up, most of Tampa Bay's young players are locked up for six years or haven't started their clock yet. So acquiring three players who are signed through 2024, it really does no damage. No. They're not, they're not putting themselves in it behind the eight ball when it comes to signing or extending anyone. So it was a brilliant move. Some of the pieces are great. And I think, again, I talked about, I like Stanford Samuels. I guess the, the shock for me comes from knowing the ask that was put on those players before. The, the type of players they were asking for, the Pittsburgh was asking for to get back for Gary Griffith and Tyson Oswald in the package earlier to see what he got back now. Now, granted, there's been some salary added on and some salary relief he got, which, which maybe drove the price up or down maybe, I, I guess. But you were talking like generational Armando Cabanas type talents as a teenager or a 21-year-old that was the ask originally. And now to get just a guy like Stanford Samuels and some other pieces that I don't hate, it's just interesting to watch. I mean, I, on one hand, you commend Greg for shooting high, getting told no, and then coming down to the highest price he can get. On the other hand, you wondered, uh, I mean, could you just held on to the guys if you didn't get the price you wanted? I, I don't know. On the flip side, it was the next trade that Pittsburgh made a day later. And that was a trade with another playoff contending team, a playoff favorite in the National League, a team that's perhaps one of the favorites to win it all across MLB Pro, a trade with the Diamondbacks where Arizona sent relief pitcher Yasuki Ishikawa and then three prospects, Joe Gray, Dominic Fletcher, and Kevin Alcantara to the Pirates in exchange for Orlando Diaz and Will Smith. Not that Will Smith, the other Will Smith. Um, a move that sent two semi-struggling relief pitchers this year 
trying to give each a fresh start in a new home. Um, what caught your eye with this one? Did anything catch your eye with this one? No, nothing caught my eye with this one. It, it, it would just look like a deal of people moving parts. You know, I, I would imagine that Arizona probably started this conversation. Maybe they didn't, but um, nothing caught my eye with this one that, that needs dissecting at least. <laughs> well, I'm going to throw one name out there. It's a guy that I have seen development from from my scout, um, Kevin Alcantara, the 18-year-old, a previous international free agent signing who has had shown some power both at rookie ball and A ball in his early career, hasn't shown much of an ability to hit for contact uh, or for average, rather, just for power. But I think there's potential there to be the steal of this trade. I, I, I think Diaz maybe figures it out with Arizona and, and helps out with their bullpen. Uh, He's had a good track record in the past. So I, I give Arizona the short term, but I, but I like that trade for Pittsburgh more so maybe than the first one, because I, I see good things from Alcantara down, down the line. Uh, but otherwise I agree with you. Nothing, nothing earth, earth shattering there. And then the other big one after the big one with Tampa Bay, maybe more moderate with Arizona. We, we went back up to, to the big one. Pirates uh, acquired Brent Fraser, Aaron Swafford, Casey Martin, and Noah Green from the Dodgers in exchange for all-star outfielder Kurt Franklin, the other starting member of the starting rotation. You brought up Tyler Glasnow, Tim Barnes, and Albert Hernandez. Um, again, but what was the headline when you saw this one come across the board? I guess for me, this is more about L.A. Uh, than it is about Pittsburgh, although it is fascinating for Pittsburgh side of things. But I mean, at this, at this point, when they make this trade, you know where they're going with their season. You kind of expect this, right? For the Dodgers, 11 and a half back in a division with two absolute Titans to be going out buying, I, I love it, right? I, I mean, this is the opposite of what we've seen the attitude of a lot of teams and it'll be pro do where it's, it's ah, I'm not going to win the World Series, screw it, sell everything. The Dodgers believe in what they've got. And I think adding an arm like Tyler Glasnow to a granted underperforming group of pitchers that should be talented. Now they're not. I mean, Parker Markell, Tyler Pill, Steve White. I mean, none of these guys jump off the page at you. But you have to think Glasnow is your best guy at this point. So to put somebody at the top of this rotation that is solid is interesting to me from a – I guess just an even thought process side of things. You know, you have to figure that Juan Soto and Javier Garcia hit the ball better down the stretch than they did. They also add a massive upgrade in center field to take Jeffrey Moore out of the lineup and throw a starting center for <laughs> Franklin into it. Like, <clears throat> how do you not love this if you're a Dodgers fan that your team is going for it 11 and a half back? Yeah, again, Kurt Franklin under team control through 2025 uh, Tyler glass now under team control through 2024. Um, so while you did lose Brent Frazier, a young pitcher, you, you gained one in Tyler glass now. So maybe you view that as a wash in order to add Kurt Franklin, who again, hitting 293 slugging 488, three and a half war, 14 homers, uh, a career high already showing power that hadn't been there in the past, already stolen 21 bases, been cautious three times, a legit 25, 25, mm -hmm. uh, chance this year, uh, gold glove caliber defender in center field or right field to pair, as you pointed out with, with Juan Soto, uh, JD Martinez still there for another year and a half. 
not this year, um, but it, but it, it brings the Dodgers right back into, in the, into the conversation. I think for next year, there's just no denying that. I think. Yeah. It puts them a piece away, a piece or two away. Right. And it extends jerks and profiles tenure in LA, which is also important to this team. Right. Cause if you don't have these pieces, there's no reason to keep Profar. Um, additionally, I don't, I don't think you can correct me if I'm wrong. The Dodgers did not lose Mike Siani or Jeremiah Jackson in this, did they? They did not. Yeah, so they keep the two offensive prospects that I think are, are going to be the next big pieces to come out of this system, right? They're both on A ball now, not hitting particularly well, but I think in two years they're up and they're, they're playing really well. You can then move Kurt Franklin to left field and you've got, or maybe right field, excuse me, and you've got, what, a, an outfield with two really, really good defenders and solid on-base bats, but then you've got Juan Soto, one of the best bats in baseball right there. I mean, I, I like this by for the immediate future move by the Dodgers because typically you see the either buy for now or sell for the future thing. And this is a buy for the future. And it's, it's interesting to me that I really like, and then, you know, the, the pirates are there. They were committed to getting rid of glass now. And I don't understand why they wanted to bail on Franklin. Again, they have a ton of young players that they want to put up there. So I guess it makes sense, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I can kind of get behind it. Does this trade have any impact on the Dodgers? Um, maybe willingness, not willingness, but like maybe more likelihood that they move either Parker Markle or Jared Cosart before the deadline this year. Cosart has a team option before um, entering the final year of his deal next year. Markle is due to make $19 million in 2022 before hitting free agency in 2023. Uh, does acquiring a young arm like Lasnow, an MLB proven arm like Lasnow, make one of those other two veteran arms? move here uh, in the month of July? If I am the Dodgers, I would, yeah, absolutely move. If somebody would take pill, you you take that and you run with it, right? If, if you're me, but that, that might be a, uh, a a different kind of thing. I mean, Steve White, you want to keep, because he's actually pitched well and he's, he's, a, he's a knuckleballer. It's, it's unique. But I mean, Markel or pill, if somebody would take either one of these guys, I, I'd say you, you, you cut bait and run. Um, but again, I think the Dodgers have been anti that thinking all along. You get right. I keep forgetting Lucio Cruzado comes back next year. And he so does. now you have Lucio Cruzado, Tyler Glasnow as your one, two. Steve White and is an interesting three, four, five guy. Then you can probably find a, a couple of guys in there as well with some of the pieces they've got without losing Siani or Jackson. They've got enough in their major league lineup that if they can get another pitcher somewhere, I'm fascinated by it. And what we saw in international free agency last year um, with, I forget the fellow's name, but the, there were a couple serviceable, like 27, I mean, Kode Senga is a great example, but there was another one who I think signed in New York. Um, you know, there, there's some interesting pieces out there for the back end of your rotation that you could probably get somewhere. I don't know what it looked, this class looks like, but if you're LA, I love putting yourself in a position to make an acquisition somewhere and be a couple pieces away. And, and then to your point, still be flexible enough to, Hey, I can deal more Keller pill to grab a couple younger pieces or some bullpen pieces if I need to down the line. The two other names out of L.A. I think that are worth watching uh, come in the bullpen, whether that be Jordan Walden, who signed through the end of next season at $12 million, and then Casey Mulligan, uh, mm -hmm. free agent after this year. Two guys that are 33 years old, but both had in good years. Both could immediately step into any playoff contending bullpen and help out. Uh, Jordan Walden, potentially Seattle, after just trading Orlando Garcia, and they're ever – ever never ending quest to find a closer could jordan walden be the guy could casey mulligan help out in seattle or anywhere else I'm just 
just two guys that I think uh, are going to have lots of interest in them. Whether the Dodgers trade them or not, I think it's a different story. But I, I think they're, Sam is going to hear hear from those. Uh, so those are the trades that did happen. Um, are there any teams out there that, that you've been paying attention to that you think need to do something, whether they're in contention and need that one single piece to maybe win the division, get in the wild court, or to advance their chances in the playoffs? Or is there a team out there that's maybe thinks they're in contention in reality they shouldn't be, or just a piece in general that should be traded? Has anything kind of been catching your eye or intrigue uh, over the past few weeks as, as we head towards July 31st? Um, you know, it's an interesting question because I think we, we've talked a lot about this and, and, and I've kind of expressed my fascination with where the league is right now with, with where the buyers and sellers come from just because mm-hmm. it's, it's so, again, somebody like Pittsburgh doing what they did was not predictable um, despite the fact that people on the, the trade block. It just wasn't because it doesn't make sense in, in a way. Um, I look up and down the league and I wonder, you look at Toronto, like we talked about, like, who, you know, where would they go improve themselves? I think that they're pretty comfortable realizing that they are clearly the best team in this division based on run differential alone, you know, that, that they're going to be okay here. I think Minnesota. And to, to, to update that for one second, sorry. <clears throat> the Blue Jays have a run differential of plus 66. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox were two games behind are at minus 34. Yep. The Yankees at minus 17, the Orioles at minus 95, and the Rays at minus 70. The yep. plus 66 is fifth, three, five, is fifth best in the American. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that tells you all you need to know. Look, real quickly, to kind of answer your question, but take a diversion. Something that I said the other day in the chat, and it seemed like it caught you off guard. You want to talk about run differential and not making any goddamn sense? Can we talk real briefly – I try not to talk about the Braves because it's my team, and I realize nobody wants to hear about it. I am plus 60-something in my own division. Nobody else is above 500. At least they weren't yesterday. I don't know if the, the Nationals happen to get over it. And I'm still not leading the fucking division. And the, my, Pythag- my Pythagorean record puts me – I should be 11 games over the goddamn Nats. Like, what is going on in the National League East? I, I, uh, we'll talk about should buy well, let's start with this. Here, let, let, I haven't been necessarily paying as much attention to the Braves as maybe as I should. So you give me the answer to this. <laughs> Why do the Braves suck so much in one-run games? Uh, I can't. I can't. Is it I, is it Carapatayan and uh, Norberto Vargas? Is it mainly the, the the two of them pitching the back end of the game? Yeah, they've been moved out. It's now uh, John Howe and Riley Pint. But the, the injury to Mike, Max Freed hurt a ton. Um, you know, it, it, it's been that. It, it has to be. I, I don't know. I, I don't have any answer. Well, no, that, that's the difference. I mean – the Nationals are 16 and five in one run games. The Braves are eight and 18. Yeah. So when we well, yeah, 20, 21 game difference between, between the two of you, basically. Oh, there. Maybe that's your answer, right? So that's the easy answer. So I guess that, that solves that mystery. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays are the better team. So they, again, they're not going to buy. The Red Sox have already bought. The Yankees are constantly buying. So who the shit knows? Maybe they'll buy something else. The Orioles aren't going to buy and they're not going to sell either. Like I, I know for a fact they were inquired on, uh, somebody inquired on Dave Tatum. And he was, they were told flat out, no, like I'm not selling anything. Um, so the Orioles are, are pat. The, the Rays pulled their move. They sold the guys that they wanted to sell in perfect fashion. So I think they're done. The Twins in, in Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, this might be this might be my my most fascinating thing. So Minnesota's red hot. 
winners of 12 in a row, all of a sudden have a four and a half game lead. Mm-hmm. Rod Swift's injury. He's in is, rehab right now. He's, he's in rehab. Yep. Okay. So, and he has made one rehab start. He went three innings, gave up three runs on six hits, struck out six uh, just the other night. Does Rod Swift stabilize things and give Cleveland what they need to catch Minnesota and retake Minnesota? Or is this now Minnesota's division to lose? I still think it's Cleveland's division. I like Minnesota's team. I think they've made some good moves. And I think we've talked enough about the acquisitions they've pulled off underperforming that are kind of starting to turn around, right? I mean, specifically, Arenado has hit a hell of a lot better over the last month or so. At least it looks like it. Um, the Pedroia acquisition will forever, forever confuse me, you know, but some of these other guys they've, they've brought in and, and the way that Martin Lopez is hit at top of this lineup, you have to know that that Minnesota is okay. Uh, and they're going to be okay. I guess I still believe that this is Cleveland's, I, I believe in the Cleveland rotation more than anything. Um, especially with Swift back at the top of it. And, and I think this lineup is good enough that this is their division to win down the stretch. And I'm trying to think where they would buy if they bought, because really the hole is a guy that should be hitting into Miguel Andujar just playing horrible. So, I mean, do they go buy a third baseman? Where do they get one? My thing that both of these teams need, and I think it's whoever gets the better fix can move on is the bullpen. I don't trust Minnesota's bullpen before the ninth inning, before you get to Mark McCain, um, as Ken Gary is having a fantastic year in Oakland, by the way. Uh, but James Serrano – You Cleveland. You said Minnesota. You meant Cleveland, right? Cle- well, well, both. And here's why, though. Minnesota only has six arms in their bullpen. Uh, I think injury – and I think fatigue could catch up to the Minnesota. Sorry, Minnesota's issue with their bullpen is depth, depth, injury, fatigue. There's six guys, if I'm counting it right, in the Minnesota bullpen. Um, I don't think that lasts through the end of the season. I, I think that is a recipe for disaster. Uh, Cleveland's bullpen, rather, sorry, hasn't been performing that well outside of Mark McCain. You have Guerrero, Brock Young in, in the setup role. Neither one's been very good. John Kent, Scott Ronenbach. Hudson Boyd, Charlie Toter. Toter's been good. The other three have been average at best. And Jeffrey McIntosh has been okay in a long relief role. So they're not they're not using him that much. I think both of these teams join the long list of teams that, that need bullpen arms to become legitimate playoff contenders and threats. Yeah. I mean, you get Julio Rosado back next month, although he was terrible to kind of go through the beginning of the division. The, the bullpen market is is the most wild west, unpredictable thing I've ever seen. And I, I, I struggle hard to predict what's going to happen in these worlds, right? Because, because what, wait, what the hell are they going to do? Cleveland's got no fear in spending to go get guys like we talked about with uh, – oh, shit. What was he we were talking about when they had a couple – oh, the Dodgers, right? Going to get a couple of those guys from the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Maybe, get some old guys. They, they'll do it. But I don't know. What are it's, they going to the other fascinating part of, of the, this time of year, and it maybe specifically goes towards relief pitchers, it's a league-wide philosophical difference that maybe, not difference, but 
it's the way certain teams and organizations value stats and ratings. Yeah. Both in terms of buying and selling. Some people are, are hesitant to buy pitchers that are maybe having good years with bad ratings, or they want to buy players with good ratings and bad performance, and then matching that up with how the seller views said commodity. He's got great ratings. So I still need a high demand, even though said pitcher has an ERA of say five or the pitcher with not so great ratings, but in 25 innings has been lights out and finding a match between two sides where it makes sense for everyone is the difficult part. Uh, But I'm always, I'm always interested by pitchers that maybe go under the radar because they don't have 80 stuff in the bullpen. Yeah. I mean, that bullpen in our league and in real life, it's such a crapshoot, right? A dude can be yeah. the best thing that's ever happened. It can be coward nats. It can be coward nats. And who knows? Although coward nats is, as long as he pitching against the Braves, is a superstar again. So um, that, that's a different story. I, I guess a team to look at when you think about bullpen consistency, maybe, or maybe bullpen pieces. What about the Padres? Uh, you've got guys like Luis Mendez. You have Abel de los Santos. Sorry, Abel whatever the fuck the M is, this dude doesn't have enough initials, De Los Santos. I mean, he's got, he's got enough arms out here that are producing well, that are well-rated, that aren't 50. They're in their low, high 20s, low 30s era, and they're clearly not going anywhere this year. But we've also been told they're not dealing Matuella, they're not doing Musgrove, they're not doing any of their offensive pieces that are in the, the you know, older age. Even the guy like Jeff, did Jeff Brooks just get traded, or am I imagining that? He, was he the trade to Milwaukee? He might have been. Jeff Brooks just got traded, right? So, so they're not trading some of their pieces. Although Jeff Brooks did just get traded to Milwaukee, but Giannis is still there, Sullivan's still there, so on and so forth. Yo, Mankata can't be traded, right? So, uh, I mean, they're a team to me that I think Sean still believes in this roster. They're not going to catch the top two. The Dodgers has made some acquisitions that I think buries San Diego below the Dodgers. Uh, the Giants, for whatever reason, refused to sell anything. Uh, so, I mean, like, do the Padres go and trade a couple pieces to try to reload here, or are they just uh, they're going to stand pat, do you think? We, I think they'll make moves. We saw them make uh, a trade earlier this year with what um, – what the hell is his name? Andy Otero got traded yeah. out of their bullpen. That's right. So, I, I think there will be – I think I think you did hit the nail here that they will be a popular destination for, for people who are looking for bullpen help. Uh, with, with some of those guys you did mention, De Los Santos. I don't think Chiosa goes, but Mendez could go at 31 years old. Uh, I don't know what good he does long-term. Ronald Manning uh, has good stuff, not a ton of success elsewhere. Uh, and then Power Arms, again, underperforming. Uh, but maybe their stuff drives up interest. Uh, Masanobo Muchizi and then uh, Joe Henson. Uh, Joe Hens is 23. He's not going anywhere. No. But but there's two or three arms in San Diego that, yeah, they they could be could could be had. Sorry, folks. There was a family issue. Uh, well, issue. <coughs> I just had to go inside and help with my three children because my poor wife was in there dealing with them while I was out here recording a fancy baseball podcast, as she calls it. So uh, we never got around to finishing up the episode. The reality is we were done, right? We wanted to talk Pittsburgh. We wanted to talk about the trades. We wanted to talk about some of the moves that Milwaukee had made and, and all these other things. And, and uh, we never got to get into some of the deeper conversations about the league as a whole. But that will come, I promise you. Since we stopped this recording, and I am now trying to put it up on air, air, 
air air anyway uh the rockies have put their entire bullpen on <laughs> the trade block as well because of course why would they not um <clears throat> which only complicates the tr- the reliever market we already discussed and we kind of put out there so the Padres was the last thing we were talking about. Maybe going into in the, the the reliever market, the Rockies are the first team, te- first place team in the West. At least they were last time I checked. Is apparently looking to shake up their bullpen and flip a bunch of guys that just don't want to pitch in, in cores, and I don't blame them. So we will get back together at a more appropriate time. I, I just sort of had to shoehorn this thing in, uh, unfortunately, and had to had to bail on anonymous, but. Thank you, as always, for your time. Thank you for listening. And please, if you have trade rumors, if you have questions, whatever, send them in to either one of us over the next couple of days, weeks. Give us something to talk about because this league is going to be wild down the stretch. If you hadn't already figured that out, there is not a runaway division leader in any one of these divisions. And yes, there are locks for the playoffs. But who brings home the title and who ends up in a wild card game is going to be fascinating down the stretch all the way until the end. Talk to you all soon. Talk to you actually for last night, this morning, coming back after the All-Star game. I think the first game back after that is next Thursday, which means next Friday will be the first episode back. I will do it for a couple of weeks. I am going to Maine on vacation at the end of the month. Um, but you know what? I can record from Maine. And so I will probably, you probably get some lakeside or I'll maybe I'll get on a, a kayak and head out onto the water and record it from the middle of the, uh, the Bangor Lake I will be on. Anyway, talk to y'all soon.